All right, well, it's good to see you guys. Welcome this morning again to New Life Church. I'm Jeremy Smith, lead pastor here. It's such an honor and a privilege to have you a part of this day. Uh, so thankful for all the folks who put in the work behind the scenes to help make this picnic happen and make this service happen. We honor you and we thank you for that. We don't take you for granted. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be wrapping up a series that we've been in for quite a while. It's called our Back to Church series. Uh, with uh, We've titled it Rooted. Uh, Ephesians 3 we'll get to here in just a second. This last week... Uh, uh, I stopped by my neighbor's house uh, intentionally to invite them to church and to picnic today, but they had already had uh, previously plans that took them out today. And so, but we stood there talking for a little bit, and um, they were working on one of their lemon trees. Uh, she grew this tree. They grew this tree in a potted, like pl- uh, like a like a pot, a big pot. It was like two and a half, three feet deep, and about two feet wide in diameter. And she's had it for a little while, and she was wanting to move it from that pot to a more stable pot, a little bit wider pot. And they worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. It's about eight feet tall, and they could never get it out of that pot. They couldn't. They worked on it. I mean, they were trying to flex that pot, trying to bend that pot, trying to pull on that tree, and nothing would budge that, that lemon tree. It was, it was rooted into that pot. Well, come to find out, lemon trees, and you may, some of you may know this, lemon trees... Their roots grow in all different directions, about two feet deep, and they are really, really stout in that two foot of soil. Well, that pot was just barely bigger than two feet, and so no matter what they were going to do, that lemon tree was not going to come out by just pulling on it. It was probably going to have to be, that pot will probably have to be cut and transplanted to their new pot, because that root system did exactly what it was supposed to do, and, sh- and the neighbors did what they were supposed to do in cultivating it and get it healthy and keep it healthy. It was not going to move. The root system was healthy. You know, what we root in is what we will eventually grow. What we root ourselves in in life will eventually be what comes off of the tree of our, of our life, so to speak. And the deeper our roots grow, the stronger we can be. And here, in, let's look at what Paul admonishes us here in this prayer in Ephesians 3, look, starting in verse 14. He says, when I think of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father for you, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, God has unlimited resources for us. Our resources will run out. We will run out. But God's resources will never run out. He says, I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources... He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots, everyone say roots. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. Is And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then he says this, And now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. 
glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me over this word today? Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for preserving your word for us. And I pray today that, Lord, wherever it's not alive, wherever your word is not fully alive in us today, that you would make it be alive. Make it connect with us. We want to connect with you. We want your word to connect with us. So give us something fresh. Open our eyes and help us to see. Open our ears and help us to hear. And open our hearts to help us to receive. We honor you today. I ask that you would fill my mouth and my heart with your word that would bring you glory and help to your people. In Jesus' name. And everyone can say amen and amen. We've been talking a a lot about being rooted in some important things. Today we're going to close out with talking about being rooted in God's love. Do you really know that God loves you? Do you ever struggle with believing that you are loved? I think we all can fall into that position in that category, wondering, does God really care about me? Does God really know me? Does God get me? Does God see me? Does God really love me? Can he really have a relationship with me? I mean, look at my life. Look at my patterns. Look at my habits. Look at my desires. Look at my thoughts. Look at the outcome of some of my behavior. Look at some of the decisions I've made. Can God really love me? Do you struggle with believing that you are loved? Well, Paul, obviously, he, he thinks that because he prays this prayer for us. He prays that God, that in Christ, would make his home in your hearts, in all of our hearts. And question is, Today, has Christ truly made his home in your heart? And he goes on and he prays. He prays that our roots would grow down into God's love, deep down into God's love, so that we could remain strong. Again, the depths of our roots determine the strength of our life. What about you? What are you rooted in? What is your life rooted in, in this time of your life? And he goes on and he prays. He says, I pray that you would have the power to understand God's love. How wide, how long, how how deep and how high his love is in all directions. There's no end to to that part of who he is. He is love. So I I pray that you would have the power to understand, and I pray that you would have a personal experience to know the love of Christ. That his love in God would not just be a thought in your mind. He exists. He's out there somewhere. Yeah, I believe in the higher power, but that you would personally experience and know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because, friends, when your heart is truly touched, when your life is truly touched by the love of Jesus for you, it does something to you. It changes you. 
it shifts inside of you. Your life takes on a different trajectory when your heart and your life has been impacted and welcomed the love of Christ. And he, and he follows that up that when you know, when you personally experience the love of Christ, he says you will be made complete with all the fullness of life. Man, think about your life. Think about what you search for. Think about what you long for. <clears throat> think about what you try to fill your life with. And if it's not the right shape that fits your heart, that God-shaped hole in your heart, you will always search, you will always long, you will always thirst, you will always hunger, you will always desire, you will always be wanting something bigger and better and better than you ever had before because it will always run out. But the love of God that is high, that is wide, that is deep, and that is long, it fills every void in your life. We were created with eternity in our hearts. And the one who brings eternity of life, the fullness of life, alive in us is Jesus. Until he is there, until he takes the center stage, until he is the spotlight in your heart, until he sits on the throne of your life, then nothing else will ever satisfy, nothing else will ever fulfill. No person, no place, no thing, no amount of money, no amount of anything, nothing will do it but the love of Christ because it's pure. It's pure. So what are you rooted in with your life today? The love of God is pretty special. He closes that part of that prayer out and he says, man, the love, God's love is greater than anything you and I could ever imagine or ever think. Think about how happy you want to be. Think about how joy-filled you want to be. Think about how satisfied in this life you want to be. Think about how far you want to get from pain in your life. Think about how you want to be comforted in your grief. Think about all of that. Jesus, his love for you is, is the remedy for that. His love is greater than anything you can ever ask for or imagine or think of, and it can accomplish infinitely more than you and I could ever think or ask for. That's the capability, that's the potential, that's the power of God's love. Is your life rooted in his love today? So question, do you really know that God loves you? Do you really believe that God loves you and that you are loved by him? Paul describes his love a little more in Romans 8. Look at it with me, Romans 8. He explains that nothing can separate us from his love. Let's look at this in verse 35, Romans 8, 35. It'll be on the screen to follow along as well. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? He says, no, in verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. He says nothing can ever separate us from his love. But why does it often feel sometimes that we are separated from his love? And he lists out a few of these things, trouble and calamity and hardships. All these different things. Temptations, our willful, sinful choices. When we 
go through things like that and experience certain things like that and decide and choose certain things like that, it can make us feel abandoned. It can make us feel let down. It can make us feel disappointed. It can make us feel doubtful. It can make us feel distant from God and His love. And that is where the devil wants you to stay. The devil wants you to remain in that feeling, in that guilt trip thing, in that, in that regret, in that condemnation to make you feel like, man, if God were really for you, he wouldn't have let you go through what you went through. If God were really for you, you wouldn't have chosen to sin like that. If God were for you, you wouldn't have made those decisions to lead your life down this road. If, and he gets you to think, man, God does not care. God is not for you. God does not love you. <clears throat> and he does, if he really did, he wouldn't allow any of that to happen. And what we, what we all forget is, one, we have our own will to choose, but then there are other parts of life. There are things that happen against us that have nothing to do with a choice. It's just unfair. It just sucks that certain things happen to us and in our life. And the enemy wants us to think, man, where's God in all this? And Paul, emphatically, three different times, continuing on in verse 38, he says, I am convinced... Man, I want to live like that. I am convinced. You ever been convinced about something? You ever been convinced about something? And it don't matter who it is, your spouse, your boss, it don't matter who it is. They ain't going to change your mind because you are convinced. Paul's like trouble, calamity, hardship, persecution. Paul's like, I used to murder people. And God still loves me. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's twice. Here's the third one. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, God's love is special. There's nothing like God's pure love. It is special. And all of this in Romans 8 comes on the heels. It, remember, the Bible, when they wrote this, it was just one long thing in these uh, letters in the New Testament. They didn't have the chapter and the verse. That's for our benefit. But remember, in chapter 7, where it's marked, this is on the hills in chapter 8, where Paul talks about his love, where he, he talked about and wrote, man, there are some days where I want to do what's right, but I do what's wrong. There are days I know what is good for me, but I choose the opposite. And he goes on to describe, man, I feel so miserable. I feel so bad. I feel so rotten. How could I do this? He goes, what's the answer for this that I'm feeling? He said, ah, I know what the answer is. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ and his great love for me. Friends, I would offer that, man, if Paul, the apostle, would experience some bad days, we will experience some bad days. But what's the answer? Stay in the issues, stay in the, in the shallow, stay in wallowing in whatever it is, or remember the answer, Jesus loves me, 
and that He cares for me, and that, in fact, He calls us more than conquerors, calls us overcomers, because that's what His love can do inside of us. you got a weakness, He'll make you strong. you got a stronghold, Jesus will break it. you got an addiction, Jesus can fix that. you got an issue, Jesus can heal that. you got a, you got an anger problem, Jesus can bring you the Holy Spirit and bring self-control to your life. You got a cheating problem? Jesus will come and break, make you faithful again. You got a lying problem? Jesus will come and help you be truthful with your life. Whatever it is, Jesus is the answer. At the sound of, at the risk of sounding so cliche, Jesus is the answer for the world. He is the answer, my friends. Come on. He is the answer. If he can save somebody like Van Nash. Just picking on you today, Van. You're just sitting in the wrong seat, brother. I love you, man. Come on. If he can, he can say that about any one of us. Come on. He can say that about any one of us. We can, if he can save me. If he can keep me. If he can salvage me, if he can hold on to me, as many times as I tried to kick against the grain and go against God's will, and man, no matter how hard I would try, his grace kept me from making those decisions and going down that road. Come on, his grace and his love is powerful. It just takes you and me turning our life over to him, yielding to him, surrendering to him, and not being afraid to let him take the lead. It's freeing. It's liberating. His love is special. In the last few minutes I have with you today, because I don't want to stand between hungry people and their food, because then you become hangry. And then no matter what I say, you ain't going to listen. There's a really special story in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 15. It's the story of the, what's, what's called the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. In Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at that for just a few minutes today. The interesting thing too about this is this, is this chapter, chapter 15. Actually there's three parables about something being lost. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And you'll notice that in each, if you read those parables, you'll see in each one of those parables, they all have one thing in common. Or they have a few things in common. There's a search party going on for each one. And there's a celebration that takes place at the end of each story. And we're going to look at the prodigal son. Let's look at this in verse 11. You can follow with me on the screen. It says, To illustrate this point further about being lost and being found and being celebrated and being loved, Jesus told this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate right now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he... He wasted all his money in wild living or prodigal living. Verse 25, 
It says, meanwhile, the older son, he was out in the fields working. So you got the father and you got two sons, a parable, a story Jesus tells to demonstrate, to communicate, to reveal the power of God's love for people. Both sons received their share. And I would propose to you that both sons actually left home. The younger son left home with his heritage. The older son left home in his heart. But they both end up in a place where they are in need of love. Let's look at that. Let's look at the first son, the younger son, verse 17. He goes on out to spend his life, waste his life, living for himself. Verse 17 says... When he finally came to his senses. Anybody come to your senses? Anybody ever come to your senses? It's like, okay. And this is what he said. He said, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am out here dying of hunger. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go home to my father and I'll tell him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And just take me on as a hired servant. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just take me on as a hired servant. Here's the younger son. He went out, took his heritage, left home, far from home, lived for himself, spent everything he had, exhausted himself, not only his resources, not only his heritage, but he exhausted his spirit, his mind, and his body on living for whatever he wanted to go for, whatever he wanted, whatever he had, whatever it was he could do. He wasted it all, and he got to a place where there was no one else around who could help him. He was very far from home, very far from his father. He forgot who he was, and he was willing to accept the mentality, well, I won't be welcomed back as a son but at least I could hire myself out to be a servant, a hired servant. Now, you got to understand, there were in this culture, there were various levels of servants. The hired servant was the lowest level of servants, the absolute lowest. They were paid by the day, paid by the job, paid by the hour, and they could be hired and fired at will. The owners, no attachment whatsoever except you do your job. And if I don't like you, hit the road, Jack, right? And that's where he was. This younger son had reduced himself to the mentality of a hired servant. That at least I could go home and be a hired servant. This younger son thought he didn't deserve love. Thought he had messed it up. Thought he had done way too much to ever be forgiven, to ever be welcomed back into the home, to ever be given a place at the table, to ever be welcomed around the family again. He thought he didn't deserve love. What about you? You ever feel or felt like you don't deserve Love? What about the older son? Let's look at him in verse 28. 
after this younger son had come home. We'll get back to that in a second. It says, the older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go into the house. So his father came out to him and begged him. And, he's, and the, younger, or the older brother said, all these years to his dad, I've slaved for you and I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Like something ain't right. The younger son thought he didn't deserve love. This older son thought he had to earn love. I know, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll work hard. I'll live close to home. <clears throat> but he got angry. And he got bitter. His heart became hard and he became distant from his father in his heart. He forgot who he was as well, like the younger son. Now, this story doesn't say verbatim that he was this way in the sense of the mentality I'm about to describe to you, but it gives the description. It fits the description. This older son had forgotten his identity, had forgotten who he was, and he took on the mentality of a bond servant. The younger son took on the identity of a hired servant the older took on the identity of a bond servant. In the level and the tiers of servants, the bond servant was the top tier servant. The description of these bond servants were they were almost like family. They ate with the family. They ran with the family. They ran the estate with the family. They were often involved in many of the family affairs, but they weren't family, but they were real close. Now, I just propose that to you today. Because there is a distinction between these two brothers in their mentalities. One left physically in, in location with his heritage, the younger one. The older one apparently gives us the understanding that he remained close to home. He was working in the fields, continuing to prove himself, continuing to slave away. And he had allowed his heart to get to a place where he didn't where he thought that he had to keep earning his father's love. What about you? What are you doing in life to try to continue to earn God's love? What is it that you feel is going on in your life where you feel like, man, if I'll just do this, if I'll just kind of make this happen, if I'll make this work a little bit, God will nod me, God will wink at me, God will wave his hand over my life, God will be all right with me. But let's look at how the father responded. And in this response that the father has for the younger son, the older son, let's see it. This is how God himself responds to us. The response of the father to the younger son, verse 20. So the younger son, he had conjured up this speech. 
He's like, I got it. I got it memorized. I know what I'm going to tell my father. I'm sorry. I don't belong to be in your house as a son, so take me on as a hired servant. Like, God, I'm going I'm to lead in. I'm going to bow. I'm going to get humble. I'm going to show him. Let's look at it. He returned home to his father. And while his father was still a long way off, his, and while this son was still a long way off, it said his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, kicked him in the teeth, hit him across the face, gave him a what for, took a two-by-four upside his rear end. Does it say any of that? No. said he ran to his son, embraced his son, kissed his son. Remember, his son was, had been just recently hanging out in the pig farm. He was sloppy, he was messy, he was smelly, he was stinky. It didn't matter what kind of old spice deodorant he was going to put on. It was not going to do the trick. I haven't run people off from the church. They're just doing their assignments, okay, that they were asked. And thank you for that. His father said to him, this son said to him, here's the speech. Father, I've sinned. I sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer to be worthy of being called your son. But his father interrupted him, and he said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill that fattened calf, we must celebrate, we're going to have a party, this son of mine was dead, he's returned to life, he was lost, now he's found, and the party began. Nowhere in there does it say the father punished him. Nowhere in there does it say the Father said, do ten Hail Marys and you will be okay. Nowhere in there does it, Father, say you must bow and kneel and kiss my ring and then I I may think about letting you back. Nowhere in there does it say, no, you owe me the back pay plus some interest and then maybe if we're in good standing in 25 years, if you get your debt paid for, I might let you come back in the house. Nowhere in there does it say that. Nowhere does it say that about God to us because we have a debt we could not pay. And he had a debt he did not owe, but yet he came from heaven to earth and paid it for us in Christ Jesus, his son. Friends, you and I can never repay God. And we may feel like this younger son, I don't deserve to be loved. But look at the response of the father to the younger son. He said, in your departure, oh, I have missed you. In your absence, I was looking for you. And in your return, I welcomed you. I embraced you and kissed you. In your return, I blessed you. I didn't curse you. I blessed you. And I put the family robe back on you. In your return, I approved of you by putting a family ring back on your finger. In your return, I have placed you right back where you belong by putting sandals on your bare, dirty, stanky feet. Religion says make yourself look good to come back to God. Religion says get yourself right on your own accord. Make yourself look presentable. And then God will accept you. That is not what the gospel says. 
He said, in your coming back, in your return, I'm celebrating you. I'm throwing a party for you. I think the father knew this younger son had a speech prepared because he started it out so eloquently, so well. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am so sorry that I have done what I have done. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, quick, let me interrupt you real fast. I call this the great interruption. Because you and I can have the best speeches. We can have the best intentions. We can have the greatest motive. We can have it all. But God says, I don't need to hear all of it. I just need to see that you have come to me. And he interrupts our thought, interrupts our past, interrupts our patterns, interrupts our speech, interrupts our behavior, interrupts all of it. Because if it depended on us to get it right to begin with, we would never need Jesus and his love. And he interrupts him. And he says, do all this because I don't want to take a chance to make my son feel like he is not deserving to be called my son. You see, friends, God wants to move quickly in our lives. Especially when we're on the seesaw and the teeter-totter of wondering, am I loved? Will he love me? Does he care for me? Will he approve of me? Will he welcome me? Can he really do it in me? And God says, quick, quick, bring the family robe, quick. Bring those sandals. Quick, bring that ring. Quick, let's throw the party. Quick, let's celebrate. Let's acknowledge this and let's not hesitate because you are mine and I love you. Then you have the response of the father to the older son. The younger son thought he didn't deserve to be loved. The older son thought he had to earn his love. Let's look at that in verse 31 as we come to a close. The father said to the older son, Look here, you little smart aleck. Don't you look cross-eyed at me and roll those eyes. Don't you tell me how to handle your brother. He says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. We had to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead. It has come back to life. He was lost. But man, he's found. The response of the father to the older son who thought he had to earn his father's love, he starts out with, look at me. I want to look into your eyes. And I want you to see me. And I want you to hear me. I want you to know what I'm saying. Dear son. You are my child. You have forgotten who you are. But I haven't. You have always stayed by me. And you may have forgotten where you are. But I haven't. You're here. You're at home. He said, everything I have is yours. 
You may have forgotten what I've done for you, but I haven't. You see, when we forget what God has done, we tend to lean in the direction of earning His love and affection and His favor, His blessing on our life and His acceptance. So you may have forgotten what it's like to be celebrated and loved, but I haven't. Today, we're throwing a party and we're going to celebrate the love I have for you and the love I have for your son, your brother. The response of the father. You know, it's the same father in this story who left the porch to go welcome the younger son. He's the same father who left the party to go embrace the older son. You know what that tells us? It tells us that God, no matter where we are at, God pursues us again and again and again and again and again and again. No matter where you're at, if you think you don't deserve to be loved or if you think you've got to earn God's love, no matter where we're at, God leaves the porch and God will leave the party because all that matters is you. Again and again and again, God will chase you. God will run you down in the middle of a dirt field under a dead tree and tell you, I love you. God will pursue you no matter where you're at. Again and again and again. You can't out-hide him. You can't out-fox him. You can't out-run him. You're going to get tired of it all. Thinking, man, you don't deserve to be loved or you got to try to earn his love. God will come after you again and again. Would you stand? As you're standing there, would you just take a moment to just bow your head, close your eyes, and just kind of get quiet. I will not, I'm not calling anybody out. My, my assignment today was to remind you. Make sure your roots are in the love of God, not in any other ground. All of the ground is sinking sand. But Christ, solid rock, your roots go in Him, in the love that He has for you. Not in your attempts, not in your wisdom, not in your wit, not in your money, not in your power, not in your position, not in your stature, not in your education, not in your job. Your roots are in and meant to be in Christ and the love that He has for you. Today, you may, if you're in a place where you don't deserve, or you feel like, man, I don't deserve love, I struggle with that, I don't think I deserve it, God wants to change your mind and meet you where you're at and show you that He loves you.
like the younger son. If you feel like you're in a place where, man, I, I got to do right. I got to do better. I got to get my life straightened out so God will accept me and I can earn his love for me again. No, you just need to let him love you where you're at. God's not ashamed of you. God's not turned off by you. God's not afraid of you. You can't say anything or do anything that freak him out. And then through it all, if you're in a place where you feel distant to God's love for you, God says, I'm here today. Acknowledge me. Call on me. Welcome me in. And my love is right there, very present. I'm going to pray. Everyone just keep your heads bowed. I'm going to pray. After I pray, we've got a song we're going to close out with. And during this song, I would like to encourage you and invite you. If you would like prayer, you can meet me and the other leaders here at the front. And we will pray for you that you will know God's love and that your roots would grow down deep into him. Because there is a better life than some of the lives I know we've been living. And that is in Jesus. Let him have it all. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for this moment that we've had together. Eternity is still in the balance. Yet we still live here on earth and we struggle. And I pray, oh Lord, today, wherever we might be, where we think we don't deserve your love, we think we got to earn your love, or we may feel distant to your love today. I ask that you move on our hearts, draw us to yourself, and come in our life and change us and open our eyes to see you have a purpose for us. You have a plan for each one of our lives. Help us, O Lord, to be rooted deep down into your love, I pray. Break the power of deception. Break the power of sin. Break the pain in any one of our hearts by pouring out your love in each and every one of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.